Bondzilla podcast is a bi-monthly analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, Felix Leiter gets eaten by a shark, and so James Bond goes rogue to get revenge. It's 1989's License to Kill. The Bondzilla Podcast is back. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new edition of the Bondzilla Podcast. I am Nick. I am Will. And we are back from a month of uh, various adventures. Yes, uh, one being vacation on my part. We had that. Nick, Nick was home making all the big bucks while I was uh, taking my leave of absence. Um, and, uh, then, and then and then we had uh, Comic-Con. Yeah, we had Comic-Con. Nick. Comic-Con. Nick. Yes. Nick. Yes, there was it was a thing, I guess. Was, no, no, no. I was gonna ask, how was your Comic Con, Nick? Oh, it was good. <laughs> Any highlights? Um, yeah, we um bought some stuff, mm. bought some Duck comics. S- such a consumer, Nick. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I met saw some friends. We had some good food. Yeah. We went to uh, not bad food this year, actually. No, no, we found some decent places. But I mean, anyway, there was um, there was the trailer that we might want to yes. talk about. Do we want to talk about it now? You know, or on, what, on let, the next? let's briefly talk about it because, okay. in terms of Bondzilla news, there was no Bond news. Uh, there, there was, was no Bond news. No, but still no Bond news. I'm still like really worried that this movie doesn't <laughs> exist and we're just ending Bond at before the 25th movie. Um, but. Uh, like no more bond <laughs> yeah i'm just like they're, they're not saying anything about well, this movie I mean, but it's not gonna be like there's no more bond bond's not a franchise you just stop making movies how on. do you know that if if that's where we they are they didn't even make it like a proper announcement that what's his face is directing you know how danny boyle danny boyle you know how they say movies are dead now which is weird because i've been to the movies for like the past month and had nothing but a good time mm, yeah <laughs> going to the movie oh we, so, we yeah but, but apparently movies are dead but you know when movies are truly dead? When you stop making Bond movies. Mm, yeah, no, that's, that, is, that is the truth. When there's any franchise and you stop making the movies, just like, oh, we're, we're going to quit, then, then we're done. Then we're done. Um, but there was a little bit of Bond. We saw the Lego Aston Martin. Oh, yes. That did, was kind of cool. We did see the Lego Aston Martin. <laughs> yeah, so a little the, bit of Bond news. Yeah, that's like but, an actual set coming out from but Lego. the bigger that's, news in Bondzilla, yes. uh, you know, in, in, our, in our wheelhouse, is uh, that we did get a, a trailer. A, a new Nick. first trailer for Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And Nick, there, I, there was a lot of solid... It was, it was a very low key Comic Con. It, it was a very low key film yeah. Comic Con, but, but there were there were some cool things. Gla- uh, trailer for Glass. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Got a Glass poster. He does. Yeah, up, up on my wall right there. And then we had you know we had some cool stuff. Aquaman looks fun. like like could be good. Shazam looks fun. Looks fun. But Nick, the yeah. the, the king. <laughs> it's actually yeah. quite the, apt the, the king, to call it King of the Monsters. The King of Comic Con. King this of year the trailers was Godzilla King of the Monsters. <laughs> we won't. You know, I'll save real in depth thoughts on it until an, a Godzilla episode. But yeah. just oh boy. Yeah. No. It's. I mean, from from the perspective of me becoming a Godzilla fan, it's it was crazy watching that trailer and getting excited for you know seeing all these monsters and like knowing the little little yeah. details of yeah. each one and, and just seeing like a, a modern day cg martha 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 
Mothra <laughs> larva uh-huh. was crazy. Yeah, and then like a little the, bit of peek at the wings and little, little peek of a uh, little peek of Ghidorah and little shots of lightning. And the, then, the Rodan sequence yeah. looks insane. Yeah, the the volcano because yeah. he was he was hitting the volcano all those all those movies ago in, in Ghidra, uh-huh. three headed monster. Oh the, well, and it's really the that silhouette shot of Ghidorah. Ghidorah, and we we actually have um. Uh, we, we, we went to go see Mission Impossible. Um, Fallout. Yeah, which is uh, somewhat, I guess, related to James Bond. Uh, but we went to go see that, and we were graced with the trailer yeah, before the, the movie. on the big screen. And it was even more spectacular. Yeah. Um, and I cannot wait. Most they, anticipated for me of yeah, uh, yeah, 2019. Yeah. And uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get more in detail about it in the next Godzilla yeah. episode, which is the next episode. But this episode... Is a Bond episode, yes. and Nick, summer is not quite over, over yet. Yes. We still have one more week of summer, so we still get to complete the summer of Dalton. Yes, the summer of Dalton is yes. uh, ending before it <laughs> truly begins, because <laughs> uh, our film today is Dalton's second and final performance as Bond, 1989's License to Kill. Yes. Let, let's right. do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're gonna go into our now, and because now it's been a month since we've it been has, on yes. on on the line. Yes, on the mic. Mm-hmm. Is that like a new? Is that like a phrase? On like a radio mic. phrase? Well, phrase? That sounds like last a, time we were on the mic. That sounds like a like a show about a podcast, like a like a sitcom on. CBS. Yeah, it does on yeah. the mic. Yeah. And Starring. it really has nothing to do with podcasting, except for one very special episode where it's all about like the integrity of journalism or something. And it's like the return of like Woody Harrelson to TV. After like cheers, yeah, it's like it's like Woody Harrelson is back on television yeah. as a dad. Who, <laughs> Does kind of sound like who needs to yeah. do a podcast to survive in this wild and crazy millennial world? It, it's like either like oh Woody Harrelson that could be interesting, but then you get the news it's like oh it's a Kelsey Grammer show, and you're like mm, that could I could go either way. <laughs> um, so Nick Dalton is Bond, a Dalton Bond movie comes out, uh, is successful, is successful. Mm-hmm. What happens next? Okay, so post uh, the Living Daylights release, and it is a very you know successful movie. Um, people are happy with Dalton. People are happy with the film, and especially Eon and Dalton are, are happy to be in this partnership. Um, but now they start developing the next Bond adventure. So post Living Daylights release, uh, Glenn Robert, uh, sorry John Glenn, who is returning to direct his fifth Bond movie. Cubby Broccoli, obviously, our major producer, and Dalton all come together and start talking about what they want to do. And Cubby and Glenn decide to heavily involve Dalton in kind of the discussions of where Dalton wants to take the character. And they all agree that they want to keep pushing towards that kind of harder edge, the grittier, realistic bond. Um, And they want to really get even closer to the Fleming book bond, which is very interesting because essentially now they've pretty much used all of the plot lines, most of the plot lines from the books, mm-hmm. uh, and majority of the titles that they've wanted to use for the Bond movies themselves. Uh, so a lot of their inspiration from the Bond books is going back to some of those earlier books and kind of picking and choosing um, different scenes that they did not adapt for those movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that stands out specifically to both Dalton and to Glenn uh, is a scene that they did not use from the Live and Let Die book, in which uh, Felix Leiter is um, 
uh, basically attacked by a shark mm-hmm. in a very kind of realistic, gritty way, and then and the consequences of that action permeate throughout the, that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they take a lot of inspiration from that in terms of the tone that they want to take. Mm-hmm. But as they are developing this movie, they get approached by the Chinese government, um, and China is looking to open up their film borders essentially and start allowing folks to film in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, they already have allowed uh, Disney to do um, a, a film for the Epcot China Pavilion, but they want to actually do a major motion picture. Uh, so at that point, kind of production slightly shifts to uh, a Chinese-based movie that would have featured uh, a chase along the Great Wall and... Um, a fight among the terracotta stone warriors. That's what we need. Sorry to interrupt. That's what we need the next Mission Impossible to be. We just got it. Like we just finished a couple days ago. Seeing a Tom Fallout, Cru- a Tom Cruise run across the entire <laughs> Great Wall. Oh no! Yes, absolutely. Um, so that actually kind of shifts production for a little bit, but then China decides to make its first uh, American-China co-production to be The Last Emperor. And the Bond team's like, well, now, since we wouldn't be the first film to film in China, mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, we don't really care um, at, as much. Um, but another thing that's kind of happening around that time that also kind of derails the China deal is MGM, who is now owns United Artists, which is in control of the distribution of Bond, is in a bit of financial trouble. Um, and what's nice about M- what MGM feels is nice about the Bond franchise is that since Moonraker, their budgets have been staying basically at a consistent $30 million per movie. Um, so they go back to the Mexico idea because um, they find that they can get very cheap uh, film studios in Mexico. There was a film studio uh, that was created there by Howard Hughes uh, that hadn't been, you know, that was kind of being inconsistently used, but they could rent it for a very cheap price. Uh, so they decide to do base the film uh, around Mexico and kind of that area of the United States. Um, as well as partially because of uh, changing tax law once again in the UK. It would be uh, very expensive to film at Pinewood, considering all the movies now filming there, one of the best studios in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the first Bond movie to film nothing in the United Kingdom. The only reason, the only uh, things used at Pinewood are post-production and uh, uh, dubbing. So now it's, it's kind of, once they, they know they're going to Mexico or like, you know, kind of south of the border type of thing, and Maybaum, who has been writing these movies with Michael G. Wilson, they again team up and decide to do an outline. But this is one of the first uh, roadblocks the production hits, the 1988 Writers Guild strike. Mm. Uh, so Wilson is not a part of the guild because he's a producer at Eon. He's just kind of, you know, he's not a guild writer. He's just been writing these movies. But Maybaum is a part of the guild and feels like he, he can't, you know, betray his, his brothers in, in the Writers Guild. So he steps away after doing the outline, and so basically this is all Michael G. Wilson's show. Uh, he takes a couple pieces of information. Uh, film-wise, he, he very much bases this on, on some of those old Kurosawa films, uh, specifically the kind of ones where he was thinking the samurai comes into town and doesn't really you know necessarily go after and kill everybody, but he kind of manipulates everybody into kind of killing each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of one of those old Kurosawa, those old Japanese cinema films. Uh, but really he um, took a lot of inspiration from what was going on in the world once again. Just like with uh, Living Daylights, he took inspiration from the real-life defections that were happening at the time. He took inspiration from um, the rising issue of drug lords in South America. Um, 
even the original script that was set in China had like kind of Chinese drug lords and then they kind of shifted it over that way. Um, he based it on the um, real life events of the Banana Republic. Right. Of, of, Which of, I just learned over the uh, course of the past month is an actual term. No, it's an actual term. I did not know that. Not just a clothing <laughs> brand uh, of Panama and, and things going on in Colombia. Um, and sort of basing those characters off of, you know, people like Pablo Escobar and, and things that were coming up into kind of the more mainstream news at mm -hmm. the time and things that were featured in other movies at the time as well, such as Lethal Weapon, Beverly Hills Cop. And, and, and just like with Glenn, uh, Glenn and Wilson also enjoyed, again, kind of referencing that Bond canon. So um, the, a marriage is involved, which mm -hmm. I guess we'll talk about, but that's also inspired by kind of trying to deepen Bond's character and kind of really give something to Dalton to kind of chew on, which is what Dalton wanted more than anything else. He wanted, you know, something to really dig into uh, as an actor. And uh, so that kind of all comes together. Mm -hmm. um, so basically the script kind of comes in as pretty much, you know, with that, they kind of push the script out. Wilson just gets it done and they can start casting these characters that they've created. Mm -hmm. So we have our, our cast. Um, so we should talk about the villain first, a major player in this movie. Uh, we have Robert Davi as Franz Sanchez. Mm -hmm. Did you recognize uh, Robert Davi at all? Yes, but I couldn't tell you where from. Uh, I'll tell you where he's uh, yeah. where you might have recognized him from. Yeah, he is one of the uh, special agent Johnsons in Die Hard. Okay, all right, that wouldn't have been my guess, but it's kind of coming. I think he's in other stuff too. Coming, but that's where I know to it. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Here, okay, I'll let you talk. I'm gonna look him up though, because I, I did recognize him for. Maybe it was that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, Robert Davi was a suggestion uh, by one of uh, Cubby's daughters, Tina, who went to this restaurant that would be frequented by Robert, Donny, Robert Davi and his friends, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. Um, <laughs> and so she knew Davi casually and thought he'd be good for the part. Uh, Robert Davi took this as a very big method acting role. So we got very much, you know, he did a lot of research into, you know, journalism pieces and what we know about people like Pablo Escobar and stuff like that. And he got so involved in, in the method actor process that he would, uh, when they were filming in Mexico, he would go into like these Mexican bars and just act as if he was this actual kind of Colombian drug lord. And every, apparently everybody at the bar like would buy it and give him the best table, give him free drinks. <laughs> and every, all the actors were like, well, he, I mean, he's doing a good job. He's really selling it on everybody. Well, I mean, that's like one of those things they say about like, oh, if you just like uh, exude confidence, you could just walk in yeah. to like wherever you want. Mm -hmm. And he also took a lot of inspiration personally from uh, the first Bond book, Casino Royale, uh, in which the villain of that movie or is that film, which would eventually be uh, adapted to a film, uh, is described by Ian Fleming as like a mirror image of Bond that like the two are kind of the same person just on different paths and mm -hmm. very similar. So we kind of played it like that. Like he's kind of just like if, if Bond was this kind of drug lord and the confidence that he would have in that. So he kind of played it as like that's and that's how we kind of got that relationship between Bond and Fred Sanchez that we see in the movie. We also have uh, Carrie Lowell as our, our main Bond girl in the movie, Pam Bouvier. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough business you picked, Miss <laughs> Bouvier. Oh, I thought we were laughing at Pam. <laughs> um, so she was told uh, that it was like oh you're going to be auditioning for the CIA agent who hangs out in bars so she showed up in her first audition for in a leather jacket and jeans and kind of like all cool and stuff and they're like yeah that, that, that'll be good for the beginning of the movie but like you know can you can you 
put on a dress too because women am i right yeah. <laughs> so she said that she went out the next day and, and got the tackiest dress she could find and um came back to for another audition now because of the writers guild strike they they were a little bit delayed on getting those actual scenes from the script for the sides and stuff like that so they had to audition with pieces from other bond movies uh so carrie lowell's audition was um the scene from view to a kill where uh they're talking about all the geological nonsense right 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 right. Mm -hmm. um and luckily for Carrie, her father was an actual geologist, mm-hmm. so she knew all those terms and was easily able to, to, to read that scene and, and got the part. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have another Bond female character in this movie. Um, we have Lupe, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Sanchez's girlfriend, uh, who gets involved with the plot, and she's played by uh, Talisa Soto. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when they were casting this part... Cubby went up to Robert Davi and it's like, well, she's going to be, you know, your girlfriend character and like this person you're kind of obsessed with in a sense, like you actually go back for her at the beginning of the movie. So you should help be involved in the casting for this. And Robert's like, yeah, absolutely. I kind of go into that method, ast- method ca- acting type of deal. Method casting. <laughs> <laughs> what would method casting be? Like, like if you like have to like, like if you're doing like an army like movie, like you go into the military, act like a sergeant. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You are cast for this part, soldier. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what they did is they had Robert Davi and uh, the actresses who were auditioning for the part do the Bond audition scenes. So they mm-hmm. would do the from Russia with Love scenes, do scenes from Thunderball, uh, and would kind of just play it from that aspect. Uh, and Glenn noted that Davi would have, in an alternate reality, been a fine Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually they talk with Davi about it and he picks Talis, uh, Talisa because he says he would uh, kill for her and he feels like that would be, again, in the character of Sanchez that Sanchez would, would do whatever it takes to get her and he thought the audience would find her attractive too. Okay. Um, one thing I should mention is that this is one of the bigger parts for the Felix Leiter role mm-hmm. uh, and so we have David Hedison as Felix Leiter and it's a historic Felix performance. Because it is the first time that Felix is played by an actor who's already portrayed him. Because I don't know if you recognize David Hedison. Mm-hmm. He was the Felix in Live and Let Die, mm-hmm. which was 16 years from this making of the movie. Right, right. So they're, they know they need a, you know, an actor for Felix, and especially because Felix has a, a lot of big scenes in this movie that they need you know, someone they can trust. So Cubby and his wife, Dana Broccoli, ran into David at uh, a bistro that they, they both liked. And Cubby was kind of like, oh, man, you know, David looks really good for his age. Like, he's David's 61 at this point. But, like, he looks really good. He looks really fit. And I, I always liked him. You know, maybe maybe we should cast, cast him. We should get him back for, for, for Felix. And Glenn was, like, worried because he's like, well, the guy is 61, and he has to, like, skydive in the opening sequence. And, you know, Dalton's going to want, you know, actually Felix with him in the skydiving sequence. So... Uh, but but Hedison was like, yeah, I mean, I thought I was done with Bond, but I'm back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he's the first actor to play, play Felix twice, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, kind of a big deal. I, I've just got some last-minute casting things. Of course, we cannot go out through the casting without men- mentioning Benicio Del Toro. <laughs> you, can't, you can't. No. You can't. Come on. He plays a Dario. So yeah. Del Toro was an up-and-coming actor who had done some TV things at the time, but this was actually his second feature film role. Mm-hmm. Um, his first feature film role was in a, uh, Pee-wee's Big Top. Oh, really? Yes. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and uh, Glenn liked him a lot because 
uh, Benicio Tortora went into the audition, uh, and he left the room and felt like, oh, I screwed that up. So he immediately went back in and was like, can I try this again? And, and Glenn liked that tenacity, and Glenn also liked, quote, his laid-back, quirky menace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's also weird uh, seeing a young... Del Benicio del Toro, mm-hmm. like just it's like still, certain a, a, actors, a, a, a young Benicio del Toro that still has his like weird quirk. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. You know, like yeah. some actors, like like Johnny Depp, for example. Yeah, like Johnny Depp is someone who like he developed like the weird performances over his career. Because when you look at like early Johnny Depp, it's just like regular, right? Regular, <laughs> like a regular, a regular dude. Yeah, but like del Toro, even from the beginning, there's like just a specific weirdness to him. Even in this movie, mm. that like you just you do can't look away from, and it, it's it's not surprising that someone like Glenn would be attracted to that, especially for this role. Right. Uh, uh, Del Toro was taken under the ring of Robert Davi. He hung out with Robert a lot and got a lot of advice from Robert over the course of the film, but also was hazed a little bit by Robert. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one time uh, they were filming in the Key West for some of those sequences. Uh, for the honeymoon and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, and, and Del Toro got a call at three in the morning, and this yeah. British voice is like, we need you to come down to wardrobe, and you know, make, uh, you know, we need you down here right away. And like, Del Toro's like freaking out, because he's like, oh, did I miss, I miss an appointment or something like right, that? Right, right. So he gets down there quickly, and it's just Robert Davi, and like Robert Davi just put on a British accent and just got him down there. You know, uh, and he was laughing his ass off. So, mm-hmm. uh, so Del Toro got to, got to kind of the run through the kicks and stuff like that. All right, two last ones to talk about real quick. Wayne Newton um, is the uh, professor, uh, Joe Butcher, the, the 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 kind of religious figure in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the movie because he kept writing letters to Eon that he wanted to be in a Bond movie, <laughs> like basically sense around uh, for your eyes only. He right. was like, I want to be in a Bond movie, and then they found a role for him. And then uh, there's a small role for the president of the fictional country of Ithmus, um, and that's pra- played by Pedro Amandaz Jr., Oh, um, who was uh, the son of Pedro of Amadeus? Senior, yes. Uh, <laughs> who was uh, Karen Bay in uh, From Russia with Love? He, oh, okay. He was the one who died of cancer during the production of the movie. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Uh, so that was just like again honoring their heritage yeah. and stuff like that. All right, so that's the casting. Mm-hmm. So now it's time for production. Mm-hmm. So they get to the Mexico again. They're headquartering in now in the Mexico uh, studio, and they find it's a lot less nice than mm-hmm. the one they have at Pinewood. Like, the phone lines don't work. It's Buildings are, like, falling apart. Can't and, drink the water. Um, but, you know, they, the Bond team is, again, confident in what they do at this point. So they make it work. You know, I guess, uh, to be honest, there's probably a little bit of, like, white British, like, oh, we, we have all the nicest things in the world. Of course, yeah. And then, like, oh, we have to go to this, like... I mean, like, listen, I'm not trying to, like, you know, knock on Mexico, but, you know, it's like... You, yeah, Pro- at the time, yeah. definitely. Right, I can't imagine that it was like the most state of the art, mm-hmm. uh, like studio. But it is interesting going, r- looking at you know film now, and you like going back in time here, and it seems like they really are expanding their where they want to film mm-hmm. film these movies. Yeah, at. no, and it, really embracing that international nature. Yeah, that no, they, and and because one of the things too is that like they want to go to a place that they really haven't been before. Right, and like Mexico, even China when they were originally developing that were like places that maybe you know you explored something similar to that, mm-hmm. but you haven't really been there. Right, and like you can explore that. Um, so but they they do make it work, and and, and they 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 work a lot to make those studios work for them. Uh, so we have the opening sequence in which Bond and Felix are picked up on the way to Felix's wedding to catch Sanchez. 
Um, and there's a part in that opening sequence where Bond lowers from an airplane, uh, or sorry, from a helicopter to Sanchez's airplane to kind of catch him. So originally it was planned to just do a whole sequence with a stuntman. Um, but Dalton was like really inquisitive, like, would I be able to do this safely? Can I do it? Can I get up there? And uh, the stuntman was essentially like, I mean, it's really just lowering you down until you actually have to do stuff mm-hmm. like on the plane. And then from there, we can kind of probably get a little bit of you on the plane. Uh, and Dalton's like, okay, no, get me up there. Get me up there in the harness. I want to be up there. Right. So, and the stuntman was like, yeah, and, oh, okay, sure. Why not? Mm-hmm. So Dalton's up there. He's, he's lowering down. He's doing all the stuff near the plane. Cubby comes rolling in like a little bit late to production. Um, and like the first thing he sees is his stunt man on the ground and his high pili paid actor in the air. And he's like freaking like, get him down from there, get him down from there. But, right. but Dalton, just like with the last movie, Dalton was very much like the audience, the audience sees me. They're going to believe me. Right. So as much as I can do on these stunt work, as much as I can do on the stunts. Cause this is the same guy who was doing like the hanging out of the plane yes. in the last one. Yeah. And stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's this, this is stuff like that. So, uh, everything is very safe, very done, very, very safely. Um, uh, they do some other stuff with a fake plane, too. That's how they kind of get the plane kind of going down in a nosedive, because mm-hmm. obviously that would be very dangerous. Um, but the un- end of that sequence is um, them, Felix and Bond, skydiving to Felix's wedding. And so both uh, David Hedison and Timothy Dalton actually jump out of the plane for like wide shots of them actually falling down. Uh, but when they do the close-up of them landing, that's actually them kind of on a crane, kind mm-hmm. of pushing them down to the ground. Um, and so David was the one who lands first, and then Dalton comes in second. And for the first couple shots of that, the crane would, like, slowly lower heads and down. And Glenn was like, well, no, that, that doesn't look good. Like, we can do it faster. <laughs> like, like, we don't need to go, like, real fast, but, hey, like, give, give me a little middle ground here. So the next take, the crane kind of lowers it faster, and... <laughs> David Hedison just goes splat right on the ground. Wow. And and Glenn's like freaking out because like, well, that was me. I I, I told him to. I told him to go faster. And luckily nothing was broken. Uh, Hedison had a little issue with his ankle. Mm -hmm. Um, That gave him a little bit of a limp throughout the rest of production. But Hedison was like fine. And he was like better with me than Dalton. So if Dalton had gone first and that happened to him, it would have been a whole lot more issues. Uh, But then it comes time for the, the third act. The, the the gas tanker chase. Right. <laughs> so, Which was the only set piece I knew about going into yes. this movie. So yeah. uh, they have 16 tankers yeah. that they use throughout the things with, with different things. Like one of them will do a wheelie. Another one like, has a specific way to turn sharply. Uh, so they film on uh, this highway near the border town of Mexicali uh, in Mexico. Um that had been closed down mm-hmm. because there have been too many accidents on this stretch of road. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but they were like, no, we're, I mean, we're stunt, you know, we're stunt people. We know what we're yeah, doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love so, it. It's like, yeah, a bunch of accidents on this road. It's a dangerous road. Let's do some stunts on it. Yeah. So there's a couple things that happen throughout this entire sequence. Um, so one that's very distinctly you see in the movie mm-hmm. is at one point, the two tankers are on like kind of side of the road and then the one tanker that Bond is driving hits the other one, and it kind of crashes spectacularly into the wall. That was a complete accident. Mm-hmm. Um, the The actual rest of that sequence was supposed to include a little bit more with the two uh, tankers being uh, kind of hitting each other, but the stunt driver just went a little too far and hit that tanker in the wall. But they felt that that the crash looked so spectacular that they actually rewrote the rest of the sequence to include a little bit more of like using that because like. 
obviously they have the the tanker go on its side and then the missile suits out and so they actually had a new shot that they planned of the missile hitting that other tanker and exploding because mm-hmm. it was crashed um the actual one on its side they actually had a tanker that was uh rigged to go on its side but the stunt driver was like no no i can do this like naturally i can do this practical <laughs> And so yeah, I mean, but it's still practical if yeah. it's no, but but he's like no, I can, I can actually just get it, drive it on side for a little bit. Like you don't you don't need the rig it. I'm I'm good. I'm good. Let me do this. Let me do this. Right, um, right. So he does that, and again, just completely good. Mm. Um, speaking of the missile, so they built this like kind of fake missile that would actually shoot that kind of fast, mm-hmm. um, but not, it wouldn't actually explode, obviously. But it was just kind of do something. So <laughs> they shoot the missile. And the missile just continues flying mm-hmm. and hits a guy two and a half miles away that's working on a telephone pole. <laughs> they just shoot this missile and it's just it, kept Wait, going. is this like an unrelated to production guy? So yes. this is just yeah. an innocent bystander. Yes. This is an innocent just, bystander working on telephone poles. Can you imagine poles. that you're just doing your job, it's super hot out, you're in the middle of this road... And then you like, oh, yeah, there's like a movie going on over there, I think. I don't know what they're doing. Then all of a sudden, a missile just <laughs> just, just crashes into you. <laughs> um, so then they're getting towards a little, through the end of filming the sequence, and they get to this, this stretch of road where they have a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so one point, um, there's guards on the set, and they're claiming to see, like, ghosts and stuff like that. What? <laughs> yeah, there's guards are filming, the, you know, keeping the set clear at night, and then they come right. in, and they're like, oh, no, we, we've seen, like, apparitions. We've seen, <laughs> there's people out in the distance. Um, one point, one we of the, tr- the over, over the, uh, during the evening, um, one of the trucks just explodes without warning. Right. Um, and then another truck just starts. Oh, so now people are thinking this is, like, a cursed yeah stretch of road right so and then another truck like just starts going oh my God. and stops it's the highway to hell nick <laughs> yes <laughs> and then so looking looking it. into it the the assistant director arthur woodster finds out that on this specific stretch of road that they're filming on right um a bus full of nuns careened off the side oh my god and crashed oh, so no. now everybody thinks like we're being haunted it's by, like, like it, it is the perfect story yeah yeah um and so a couple last things happen on that stretch of road one uh-huh. is that dalton almost drives off a cliff mm-hmm. uh because there's a scene where he like he's looking at something that's crashed and then he runs back into in the in the tanker car and like drives off mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be the rest of the road was supposed to be clear but apparently one of the other tankers kind of got on the road for for whatever reason and so Dalton barely avoids like driving off the road because like he wasn't expecting this tanker to be there right but the rest the last thing that happens on that stretch of road is the very final scene with uh, with uh, Sanchez and Bond where there's a big explosion. Mm-hmm. And so they do the big explosion and the fire effects, and that's all that's all good and fine. But uh, they have a a person on set taking like production stills for like you know um, publicity and stuff like that. And so it's like a big explosion. Dalton's running away. It's this big thing. They look at the stills and they look at the photos they got, and there's appears to be a hand of flame <laughs> reaching out and like. I can't find it online, but it's on the DVD. Uh-huh. But it, it does legitimately look like like a hand is like reaching out, right? And like they search through all the 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 you know the the rushes and stuff like that, and they can't find anything. And but just on this one still, it was like the perfect like 
image. But again, that was like the last like we we were haunted at this road. <laughs> um, so that that's the Bond movie I want to yeah. see. I yeah. want to see that but. Ghost Bond. Well, we had you know we had no, we didn't. It, no, that wasn't supernatural. I refuse. I refuse to believe. That. Anyway, just to wrap this up. So filming ends on November nineteenth, um, November eighteenth, nineteen eighty eight. Uh, but in the lead up to the release, there are a few more issues. So one thing that I haven't mentioned yet is that the original working title and the title that they were going to use for License to Kill was originally License Revoked. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were all they had the marketing set up. They had like cool posters. They had trailers cut with the voiceover saying License Revoked and all that sort of stuff. Um, and they had screenings ready to go with that title and stuff like that. And then the executives at MGM were a little bit worried that people in America would associate the term license revoked with getting your driver's license taken away. So they were insistent on the title being changed, mm-hmm. despite the fact that, again, all the marketing was set, everything was good to go. So MGM has the final word on that. So they shift the title to license to kill. Yeah. So they have to redo the entire marketing. Though, prior to production that does sound like an amazing how you pitch a tom cruise movie when one man can't drive he runs <laughs> that's all he and does the other issue they have is with the ratings boards uh because this movie is distinctly very gritty and very realistic right uh the uk wants to give it its highest rating like the uk ratings board like an 18 and they they like no we can't get an 18 that's gonna you know you mm-hmm. can't it's like we can't get an R rating for this, um, so indeed they do some cuts and finally get it down to a 15, which is the first time that it's ever been like the PG 13 equivalent mm-hmm. in the UK, first time ever. Uh, and in fact, the version we watched was the first time uh, that they put together the original filming of the movie. So they had to take away like you know Lighter losing his leg and. Uh, the the big head explosion that happens, which we'll talk about, right? And, and 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 the whipping sequence at the beginning, like a lot of that stuff was like cut down uh, for the movie. But and then we are approaching production, we are approaching the release, so we should talk about License to Kill. Yeah, let's talk about the movie. Okay. This private vendetta of yours could easily compromise Her Majesty's government. You have an assignment, and I expect you to carry it out objectively and professionally. Then you have my resignation, sir. We're not a country club, 007. Effective immediately. Your license to kill is revoked. And I require you to hand over your weapon. Now. I need hardly remind you that you're still bound by the Official Secrets Act. And I guess it's... Uh... Farewell to arms. All right, back to talk about Dalton's second movie. Yes. Licensed to Kill. His second of many of two mm-hmm. <laughs> movies. Yes. So, um, so this movie is always one that I've been fascinated by, even more so than than The Living Daylights and, and that Dalton movie. Because like we said before, like I, I've always enjoyed just thinking about the Dalton movies even before this podcast because both of them can sometimes feel like they're you know they're not part of the canon just you know because everybody focuses on all the other bonds but License to Kill is a very distinct and and in many ways like different movie than 
kind of what we've seen in terms of the like plotting and um, especially like the use of its characters, like just in terms of like how they use Felix, which we'll we'll, which we, we'll get more into. Um, it's very much kind of you can see how even possibly like Dalton's influence and kind of the direction they want to take kind of influence this movie. But I've always found this fascinating because it's 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 very distinct for for a Bond movie, um, and, and especially like seeing this version of the movie, which is you know no all, the original cut, very more violent. This than, is the Snyder cut that, that, we, that we watched. <laughs> I think. <Nick's> look. <laughs> It was she, we really that every, really caught Nick off guard. Every extended edition <laughs> or is, original cut is should just, just be called the Snyder Cut. At this I, I, I do want to. Um, that's the new director's cut. There is, is the like, Snyder you cut. know violence and stuff like that. But I it, there's just something inherently like just interesting about how this movie was put together and and the the end product of that. Mm-hmm. And, and so this was one I was very excited to show you. Um, because I thought it would have a lot of elements that would interest you, mm-hmm. uh, things that we've kind of talked about over the course of the podcast. And it's just, again, it's, it is something a little bit different, uh, a little bit of a different pace than what we've seen before. So, License to Kill, do you have any initial yeah, thoughts? Uh, I, I like this one. Um, I liked it more than the, than the previous one. Um, and I thought it was just, it was just solid. I thought mm-hmm. it was just like, uh, I like the setup of it. Um, it's kind of like that thing where, I remember liking Skyfall at the time because mm-hmm. it was definitely uh, – it's a movie that kind of goes away from, like, the plot. Because we've had just so many of these movies where it's, like, here's the mission and here's, like, the bigger political ramifications of, like, what's happening right, and, and right. all that kind of stuff. So, like, when they did that in Skyfall where they're, like, oh, they're just making it kind of like a old, like, skeletons in the closet of MI6 coming back to haunt them. And in this one, this movie is very – odd too in a way Mm -hmm. because it gets to a certain point and i'm not sure it completely makes up for because i think objectively if i looked at it it's very weird it's it's an it's it's an odd movie in that you get to the end and then you kind of have to remind yourself like oh this is just one giant revenge movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) like because it's like you just think like it's going to like get bigger and bigger and bigger but at the end of the day you do have to remember like oh he's Killing all of these people, getting into all these big, um, what's it called? These like set pieces. Um, there's a hint at like there may be a theme in here, but it really is just like him getting back at this one guy, yeah, <laughs> for what he did to his buddy yeah. at the beginning. And in a way, if you look at it objectively, it it is kind of weird. And you know, is it the most uh, cohesive piece? I, I don't know, but. It, 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 I did find it very entertaining. No, I, I to watch. I and, will say, from, and it was very simple. I, yeah. I, I did like that in its, its simplicity. simplicity. Um, I have seen this movie a couple times because again, my obsession, I guess, obsession with Dalton. Um, and previous times viewing it, I've, like, I've liked it, and I maybe have more issues with it. I mean, personally, I, I personally just still like the Living Daylights a little bit more, just because I just love. Sure, the whole sure, movie. yeah. Um, but this viewing was a real sort of. I was just into it like the whole way through, and it 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 is sort of putting it up there with among like you know, wouldn't put it like a top five, right? Like, of, of like the the good ones we've watched, like I would put it up there. Well, like there, it just it just there was something about this viewing, right? Where I just kind of bought into 
like more of the thematic elements, more of the Bond history part of it, and, and just the through line was entertaining, right. and I, I just really bought into it this time. I think what I mean by this movie's odd is because it really the what is going on in the movie in terms of what normally goes on in a Bond movie, like what the bad guy is doing and everything. It's pretty inconsequential yeah. as this movie goes on. And maybe I, that's where I'm like, is it too inconsequential where it could like really stand up as its own strong movie? But at the same time, I'm a dummy who often gets confused where, <laughs> with, with uh, some of the machinations of like what's going on politically with these bad guys. Because ultimately what it is is like Sanchez is just running – a, a drug operation mm-hmm. and he's about to go worldwide with his drug trade essentially yes. yeah. with like the most like with the with the with the best with the best stuff mm-hmm. like and Colombian pure right and that's pretty much it yeah. and then bond is just just trying to kill him yeah and the, and the thing is like that's the plot of the movie that is yeah there's no other plot but and what makes it weird is like they kind of play with this theme about like bond your your antics are getting more people killed than saved but then like the movie just drops mm. by the third like he doesn't take any like it's it's also really weird how the movie ends too because the movie ends with like yeah he got his man yeah and like all these yeah well, so it, it, it's I a little have, odd in that yeah, way I have some thoughts on that but we'll we'll get to that later we but should... it was it was super weird the way it begins too yeah. with the wedding stuff. yeah because i was like wait a minute is he getting married is felix getting married like right what, what yeah. is this yeah what's no, going it's, on it's here felix's wedding he's bond's yeah. got the ring yeah but oh okay so basically you know kind of starting like somewhere as always like just here on out we just always go all over the place but i'll start at the beginning here it's a it's a dark beginning oh like, yes I, it I is. was i was blown away by kind of how dark it is now that being said like uh the living daylights may have one of my favorite like bond first acts yeah like i just love the way and maybe it's just because you know we've been on a mission impossible kick lately and that kind of reminds me more more of that but i did like that but this one i was like whoa Like, you just open it up, they kind of succeed at a mission, which is super weird. I don't know why you would want to have your wedding the same place that you basically caught a criminal. Like, well, it wasn't his intention. I know, but it's like, at that point, I think it's like time just, to... Just move the... Just get out of their ASAP. Yeah, just get out of the area as soon as you say, I do. Um, but, so, they capture Sanchez, but then he escapes, right? right? With yeah. The, with the help of an, an, another DEA. Yeah. Um, right, because there's like, oh, um, I, I, there was an inside job, technically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it basically opens up with, they they capture him and his wife. Felix and his wife, yeah. Uh, then they introduce, uh, then they introduce Benicio Del Toro with perhaps one of the best lines in this movie, in which, what's the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it in, yeah. I'm gonna put it in here, where he's like, don't worry, we gave her a nice honeymoon honeymoon (laughs) but um and and then that that line becomes significantly less funny when you find out that it possibly uh raped and killed her Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's no fun no um so then that (laughs) happens and then they feed felix to a shark Mm -hmm. and felix loses his leg and it's not and it's played like and you earnestly you can see felix's leg Floating in the water. Yeah, I do have I do have one funny note about. He this. would be dead though. Yeah, yes. Like unless they treated that yeah. wound right away, he would be dead. One just funny note about. Yeah. That. Mm-hmm. Um. So they wrote uh, a license to kill like book adaptation, um, that was in continuity with like the Fleming novels. 
So the whole kind of thing about Felix in that book is that in Live and Let Die, the book, Felix loses his arm mm-hmm. with the shark. Right. And so the whole thing is, is like because they have to take the plot, they're like, <laughs> Felix lost his leg too to another <laughs> shark. And the, the chapter in which Felix loses his leg is called Lightning Strikes Twice. Yeah. <laughs> But it's just really <laughs> ridiculous because they have to take it from the book, but then the book right. kind of. But yeah, no. But but the way that they play that sequence, yeah, no, it's it's kind of it's horrifying. Yeah, and especially like you know, it's no good because then Bond gets to the airport. Though he they Bond does find Felix, and then there's the note on him that says he disagreed with something that ate him, and I was like, yeah. that's pretty badass. But it, that's pretty cool. And I think another reason that I like, I think this movie really works is I think it's again because it's it's Dalton. Because when you look at Dalton, like, reacting to things oh, in Oh, oh, yeah, finish your point, and then that, this is what I was going to say. Um, yeah. Like, even when he discovers, like, you know, Della, who's Felix's wife, dead, mm-hmm. and it's Felix, who's still, like, barely alive. Right. And, like, he rushes at the phone and is like, get an ambulance here quick. Like, I think, because the thing is that they do reference uh, the fact that Bond was married and lost his wife, um, and kind of a subtle reference to that. But I think that Dalton throughout that, especially that sequence is, you know, gives you in the sense that this is a real tragedy for him. Mm-hmm. And, and potentially like even a meta reference sort of, I, I kind of read it as like he never got the guy who got his wife. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe that's another reason that he's, he's yeah, kind of that's, pushing that. That's an interesting like, point. They could have played that no, more and, though. And, and I, I think, think that, again, I think this, if it were like today, you definitely would play that a lot more. Right. Um, but I, I do think like, I, I don't know, I just watching all these movies in a row. It's just kind of I kind of read that into it, and I think that kind of even benefits from Dalton's performance. Well, I mean, that goes to I think the thing that worked most for me about this movie, and it's actually similar to the last one too, where they had remember his buddy in the last one gets oh, yeah, killed, the, yeah, in a door, if I remember correctly. Well, yeah, no, the <laughs> explosion, yeah. yeah, yeah, the explosion of the door, and they really made they really sold you on like, oh man, those two those two were buddies, and Bond actually. You know, it's nice to see that Bond cares about his friends. Yeah. Um, and that was something about this one movie that this did make – while it didn't get to – and you're going to hear me reference that a lot – Mission Impossible levels. Yes. Like with Benji and yeah. – uh, Ving Ra- What's Ving Rhames' character's name? Uh, just Ving Rhames. Yeah, so he's just, he's just, he basically plays Ving Rhames in those movies. So it's Tony. Luther. I, Luther. You know, I did real quick, I did make the joke that I would be 100% okay if they just stopped calling him Ethan Hunt and just start to- calling him Tom Cruise yeah. in those movies, and it'd be all good. Mm-hmm. But like, but this one, I did like that, all right, if he died, if somebody died in the group, like Bond likes his friends and, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to be well, really and, and mad I think, about it. I do think the wedding sequence. I'm, I'm saying it terribly, but like yeah. that's kind no, of. And the wedding sequence is like, like, like even when they give, they give Bond a lighter. Right. And because uh, it's, he's so cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> Nick's been getting on me because I bought a lighter. It has a little T-Rex on it that says license to carry small arms. Rightfully, as Nick points out, I don't smoke. But it's just cool to have a lighter, and I think this movie proves yeah. why you need they, a lighter. But, but when you have that, it's like there there is a relationship there, and yeah. I think they sell that enough to when Felix does lose his leg, almost dies, wife yeah. dies, you can you can really buy that that Bond is is going going for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, but even like little things like so when Q shows up, uh, yeah, a little like, later in the movie, yeah, it just the movie portrays it like as all right, Bond is a good dude. 
which I've always been kind of back and forth on whether these movies do pretty well. And I feel like both of these Dalton movies prove that Bond's a good guy who has these friends and cues one of the friends and he gets along with like the woman stuff in this one's not gross. No. Which I'm very happy with. <laughs> you know, they still have to get it that Bond just like, you know, you know, fucks everything that moves and I yeah. get it, but at least it's not gross. Um yeah. And and I just really appreciated that element of it and it really made me like mm-hmm. Dalton a lot more that they're making him a little bit more of a real person in these in these yeah. movies. And and I and I think like, again like I I will say that this really confirms that Dalton's my favorite Bond performance cuz I just feel like he still has that range that I really like, but he he really I think he just sells that revenge mission. Yeah. I think that he that obsession that he has and and kind of the other elements of it um you know, and kind of those realizations that maybe he is going too far and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that whatever like minor or major script issues that might be had or, or things that get dropped, I think that Dalton consistently kind of brings it all together mm-hmm. and, and kind of gives a fan a, a great performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, no. So I mean, overall, like I, I did enjoy the movie. You know what I enjoyed the most, though, Nick. <laughs> You want to you, you, priority note. You're his he had a priority note. Okay, this is this is a moment where he had to pause the movie because yes. we was laughing yeah. so hard. Uh, so uh, t- let's bring him up. So Sanchez, Sanchez is 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 a decent enough villain. Yeah. Um, at one point they cut to him, and this is like halfway through the movie, right? Like, or pretty deep in. Like he's to the they're, movie. In a, they're in a casino that Sanchez yeah. owns yeah. in like Ithmus, which is like he's paid off all the government, so it, like he has total control of the city. So they cut to him, and then he just casually has an iguana on his shoulder, an iguana that has a diamond necklace on, and I just I just had a conniption about this, like. Nick had to pause the movie I was like, while yeah. my hands were on my head. I was like, do you need me to pause? He's like, yeah. Just as I just chuckled to myself for a good, like, ten minutes. Because it is inexplicable. That iguana does not appear anywhere else Well, see, movie. but this is what was crazy about it. That, that that iguana shows up out of nowhere. It's not like it's part of his shtick that he's, like, a lizard guy. Because at first you think this movie is going to be like, oh, he's, like, a marine biology guy because, you know, it takes place with... Because the front is, remember, at the beginning... Yeah, the front is that, like, part of his money laundering front is that he's with he's friends with a guy named Milton Crest who owns, like, a marine biology thing and that's right. where they get the shark from and um milton crest who definitely it's also like maybe a super shark too yeah. like that like it, it's like trying to like jaws its way up through like great uh, like yeah. floors and i have to i have to admit when bond did like kill that guy with so the shark that was awesome you know, bond bond definitely kills the shark with uh because it doesn't kill the shark he kills the guy who broke sanchez out of prison yeah um the dea agent that yeah. betrayed them with, yeah, with you know it's like yeah. the, the agent like offers him like i'll give you half of my two million it's like you want the money you earned it yeah that was awesome i like that but then so then so i'm thinking like all right maybe he's going to be a marine biology guy but of course they drop that and there's no other like lizard shtick and then all of a sudden he just has an iguana on his shoulder with a necklace and then that iguana does not appear until like the final scene of the movie (laughs) 
<laughs> it, I'm it's thinking, just yeah, it's just out of nowhere. I'm yeah. thinking like you know the iguanas got like you know like that's the galaxy on Orion's belt. Like 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 there's something important about that necklace, but no, it's just an aquatic the galaxy on Orion's. Well, you belt. know what I mean? No, like, I know what you mean. That's, yeah. you know, um, but it's just that was uh, that was 100 percent my favorite part, and it was just so inexplicable. By like, the way, we we should mention too. Um, a major part of the plot that we haven't talked about is that so after Bond kills the, the, that rogue DA agent, yeah, um, he's basically taken to the Hemingway house to meet up with M. Right, and M's like, okay, you were supposed to be on a mission in Istanbul. Like, right. what's going on? Like this this whole thing with Felix is giving me up. And so Bond essentially decides, he goes rogue. He goes rogue. Yeah, yeah. So that's a major part of it too. Is that like the whole movie? It's like it's not even an official mission for him. He he's literally just on a personal revenge mission. Though I did pitch a version of this movie where he gets his license to kill revoked, and then he has to go throughout this entire mission without killing somebody, and then that would just be kind of like an awesome like well, uh, you know, yeah. just like, like for more of a joke. But like, what did I say? He has to Jackie Chan his yeah. way through all of his situations. But like, you know, knock somebody out with a coat. He doesn't kill too many people. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? He kills so many people. He gets a lot of people killed too. Like yeah. at one point, and well, I mean, but it's like, in terms of the major players in Sanchez's organization, he doesn't. Right. He doesn't kill them. He doesn't. No, Robert Davi kills all his own people. That's true. <laughs> no, because like no, but he kind of got that one guy killed by like making it seem like he was stealing all the money. Right. And then, and oh my God, there's this one scene where, I mean, like, Bond's responsible for Bond's that. Bond's responsible, but, like, technically, yeah, no, technically, technically speaking. He's like he, Saw. He yeah, didn't he, pull he, the trigger. He, 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 he He's solid. Because here's the thing, like, he pushed those people out of the plane, self-defense. <laughs> you know, Milton Kress, we'll talk about his death in a second. Right, but, but this guy... Yeah, he gets pushed into like a escape pod. I want to say, or like a like or, it's a, it's a pressurization chamber. Yeah, it's, it's like yeah, like a hyperbaric Crest, chamber or like, something. Yeah, so he's like this guy who definitely looks like an uncle I have, um, <laughs> and uh, he's like because they've set it up where the money's in the hyperbaric chamber or the or the, or the pressurization chamber, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it looks like that Crest has been stealing the money right. from Sanchez. So then Sanchez just puts him in there, just put, put, like dials up the pressure of the chamber to like. Like Max, and then the dude's head just explodes. Like on camera, yeah. like his head just expands and explodes. Right. And, like, like yeah. as if this were like a John Carpenter movie. Right. It was. And then the, you, it was see, you see the blood like all over the window. Yeah. Too. It's, it's crazy. It was pretty gross. Yeah. Um, um, but just, then, like, the, yeah. What do you, what do you think of the Bond girls in this movie? Um, it's interesting. I. In previous eras of my Bond viewing, yeah. I had viewed uh, Pam Bouvier yeah. um, <laughs> Pam. Uh, as like a, a good but not great Bond yeah. girl, and this time around, I really liked her a lot. Yeah. Um, I think there's still like some elements that I would like kind of, you know, I would redo if I had the chance, but mm-hmm. I do think that she's uh, really, I think she's, I think she's good. Yeah. Um, I liked her a lot yeah. in this movie. Um, um, I, 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 yeah. I, I, I think I, I, I've always thought of her as like good, not great. This one, I, I would call her great. I would yeah. call her a great bonger. I liked her just because for the first time in a while, it was like, all right, she's an agent of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, because what was her thing? A deal again? Like she, she was, she was, uh, she's in the CIA. Yeah. Uh, she and she was an informant on Sanchez right. uh, for Felix. But this one, they just established that she's in the CIA, mm-hmm. and I believe that. 
throughout the whole movie. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, and even though, like, you know, they do play a little bit of, like, oh, she's falling for Bond, like, you know. Yeah, that's, that is the one part where it's like, I, I, I get what they're going for. Yeah. Like, and I worked a little bit more on this viewing. Right. But, like, that's the one thing that was like, I would just rewrite it to just. Because I don't think it's a bad idea. I just no, think like you no, can, no, you can no. alter. You just alter it slightly. No, but, but like, I did it, like a lot more of her like other antics and the way she helps out and stuff like that. Oh yeah, well, because it was like she could do stuff. Like because mm-hmm. I always they always build up these Bond girls like oh they're capable, and with the exception of maybe Pussy Galore, it's always like oh Bond can just do it better. And I felt like this one. Well, no, what Pussy is the whole problem is that, like, at first they kind of have him as equals, and then she disappears for the third act thing. Yeah, but that's, but she's just gone. Yeah, it's like, but I feel like another, like, what was, like, the one, the first one with Jaws? I'm I'm forgetting. Oh, uh, Anya. Yeah, like, where they establish her, where she's, like, part of, like, Russia and, like, the Soviet Union, and then she, like, is just kind of useless for for the movie. Mm. Uh, So, you know, I like, so I liked Pam. Um, And then the other one. Lupe. Lupe was fine. Uh, She was actually not bad either. And, again, like, this movie isn't gross, so that's good for me. That was the one where it was, like... All right, like why? Yeah, <laughs> why these no, are these like, two the together? Is, like, like, like I, I, I buy Pam and and Bond. I don't necessarily buy Bond and Loopy. Here's the thing: if it were purely like as gross, it would be kind of. If it were purely Bond using her kind of for the information side of things and right. to help him out, that's fine. It's just they have that weird moment at the end where they start kissing again, and I was yeah. like. You, you didn't and then he switches back to Pam anyway. Right. That's a weird part of this movie. This, this movie ends very, very strange. Weird. Yeah. Because in the so in the third, not in the third act, but partially through this movie, because I have a whole thing where you, if you introduce things too late in a movie, like it's not my favorite thing. Yeah. Like this movie basically reveals like, oh, there's like other departments of national security after this guy well, and bond's th- kind of ruining it well that's that's kind of the whole thing about the theme and like the thing is that bond like you know the d the agents you know because he's also being uh trafficked by like uh hong kong like uh you know drug police and you know narcotics yeah because uh sanchez's plan is going to, he's going to expand to like china and in tokyo and and stuff like that with 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 his special blend of, of Colombian pure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's one of those things where Bond, you know, it's like Bond's going in too far and is he like, you know, he did he screw it up that like, oh, the, he Sanchez would have been caught anyway. Well, and, yeah, because the whole thing is like, is is his tale, is his search for revenge getting more right? And cause, killed? Right, because Pam gets a thing where she was going to get some missiles from one of with, uh, uh, Sanchez's right-hand men and then because Bond screwed up the assassination, the guy right. like panicked and stuff like that. But... But the movie has that, but then I would say just kind of drops it mm. very soon because <laughs> Bond is never really taken to task for that. No. Like he, because well, I guess like and yeah. that scene happens and goes so quickly. So like, all right, so that scene happens, and then there's like those two ninja people mm-hmm. who are like ninjas, and they're good guys. But then they have a scene where, like, one of the ninjas dies. They're either lovers or brother and sister or something. Yeah. And one of the ninjas die. What do you want me to call them? They're ninjas. No, they are. They, they are. They're introduced. I can't, I can't deny. So then the one ninja dies, and then he's like, oh, like, you know, carry on. The, this is not what he said, but carry on the ninja name for me or whatever. No, he said, like, don't let you, don't let them catch you alive. Yeah. The, oh, that. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. But then it's like, so I, they don't, because then she goes, and then she gets killed. But it's like, it's way 
too quick yeah way too sudden mm-hmm. like who are these people I, I know like they explain but it's like who are who are these people really yeah. and then they're just gone mm-hmm. and then they're never mentioned again yeah. <laughs> and then bond just complete that's what i'm saying you get to the third act of this movie and it's just him and sanchez chasing each other yeah. on this highway and then you had to remind yourself like oh this is a like a whole revenge movie yeah. like bond just, just yeah by the end of this movie has not gotten his license to kill back. No. Like, he's still rogue, yeah. technically, right. by the end of this um, movie. But I was going to say, I, I think there's, you know, we're getting a little... Oh, can, wait, can I say this one thing? Is like, I told Nick that the way... Because at one, at one or two points, they cut back to MI6 about, like, oh, we, we have to find Bond. Yeah. And somebody's like, where could he be? And then, like, the... And then, it was it M? Yeah. M's like, oh, well, he's obviously going after Sanchez, so he should be in this area. And I'm like, they're treating Bond going rogue as if the cat got out. <laughs> like, it's, like, not that big of a deal. It doesn't seem like they're really expending that much energy trying to catch him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ah, he'll find his way back to the house. Yeah. <laughs> a couple things we all want to mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll um, wrap up. Is because we got some things. Yeah, yeah. One yeah. is, I live for Bond entering this like dive bar on the coast of Florida. Oh yes, yeah, you like that w- bit with the dirtiest guitar riff. <laughs> I've never heard this phrase. Um, a dirty and that whole bar riff. fight scene is great. It's fun. See, that's like because that is one of those elements where I'm like, oh, I've never seen that in yeah. a Bond. But I just before. that whole sequence is just my aesthetic. I yeah. love it. Um, and the whole intro. You saved my life. It's a dangerous business you picked, Miss Bouvier. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, so one of the things is because this is also a really weird element of the movie. But that I was also, also a weird scene where she just kept on knocking people out with the gun. Like, why aren't she, you just shooting people? Oh, no, and then she, then you liked it. She, she shoots a big hole in the wall. Oh, God, yes. So she shoots a hole in the wall to get to escape, and it just shoots a perfect circle into the wall like she's Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Well, no, because another part of that scene, so, like, she gets shot by Dario at the end of that scene, but she's wearing, like, a bulletproof vest. Right. And then later, um, because Bond infiltrates Sanchez and makes it seem like he's actually gone rogue and he wants to be a part of Sanchez's crew. And and Sanchez is, like, believing Bond, so that's why he kills Wavecrest and and all this other stuff's going on. And Bond's going to see the heart of his operation. But then since Dario's there, Dario knows that Bond is, like, an agent. Right. So, So they put him on his conveyor belt and, like, with... Again, this kind of violent thing where they're going to chomp him up into, like, little bitty pieces. Right. And then, like, he's tied up. He gets caught. And then Dario's going to cut him off. And then Pam shows up. And she's taking this all-white garb. Right. And... So Dario is like, you're dead. Like, he's seeing an angel. That's what I thought that they were trying to do. Yes, that's what they're doing. And then Pam shoots him. Again, another person Bond doesn't kill. Pam shoots Dario. (laughs) That's true. And then Dario falls into the thing and just gets, like, obliterated by these gears. Yeah. But that's another weird element. Um, The Wayne Newton thing is also kind of funny. That dude was so just perfectly over the top <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that guy it is just white suit with his little mustache and oh my god love that guy bless your heart yeah <laughs> um no, but, it's, this is an enjoyable the last thing i'll say about it enjoyable this, but dark flick yeah the third act is 
super impressive in terms of because you know I, I'm a guy who you know I'm often you know on the difficult side of the whole like practical effects like type of thing, but I'll acknowledge like when they when they really work. And I just thought the whole third act with the the explosions in the third act of this movie are spectacular, and all the pyrotechnics that go on in this movie, like on the road with like the giant trail of fire uh, going after the truck and then bond lighting that dude on fire which again nick is why you have a lighter it's not just a smoke now do you now yeah. do you now do you approve of my lighter ownage and it's a nice <laughs> moment too because like throughout when when sanchez realizes that bond isn't his friend yeah he's like who are you working for who's like you know he thinks he's from some other government agency right, or yeah, stuff yeah. like that and the the fact that it's this nice moment where it's like, no, it was just why am I doing this for yeah. Felix? That's, yeah, that that was, was a good. Was I, a good the moment. last thing I'll mention. Yeah. So, they ca- Felix is like fine at the end of the movie. He's like awakened and he casually mentions like, hey, M's looking for you. He has a job for you. And this one is really weird because like when Ethan Hunt goes rogue, <laughs> like when, right. no, when Ethan Hunt yeah. goes rogue, yeah. he's saving the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like when like he's going rogue in like Mission Impossible One, like he's okay, he stopped them from getting the CIA. I guess we can get him back. Or like when he goes rogue, like when Ghost Protocol happens, it's like, well, he stopped this guy from launching a missile. Okay, we can take him back. This one, it wasn't really Bond was saving the world. It's just like a Bond. Ended up doing what he, he he killed the guy that we told him not to go after. I guess we can get him his job back. Yeah, but, but there is also like for this movie, there's no way you can do that and like make it work. <laughs> like there's just no like the only way you'd make it work is if you did the same thing. Like if this weirdly enough, if this was like him going after Blofeld, right, right. Like this, I think this is the movie they wanted to make. Like if they would continue the actual in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, yeah. Like if that's the thing, like oh, he finally got Blofeld. I guess we should get him back. Yeah, because it's not even like this movie does like oh, the stakes have never been higher. Like it's like this is what he's actually doing. It's mm-hmm. like no, he's just trying to make an international drug trade. Yes. Uh, um, I enjoyed the movie. No, I I, yeah, I liked it a lot. I, I, I definitely it. think it's it's among my top, and I really I, re- I just really bought into it this time. Uh, and again, it's just I love Dalton. I think Dalton's great. I think he's good chemistry. Um, especially like like it gives you it makes me wish you a little bit more like we got more Dalton in Q because like the Q stuff. Is, yeah, I really like the Q stuff. Like in, in like this. this is stuff like you don't snore Q and. Like, hope you don't snore Q because he has to sleep with, with Q. Right. Um, and there's the really, f- like, f- subtly funny moment where he, <laughs> he was disguised as, like, a guy. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. When he's in the mustache and the sombrero and yeah. he's, like, sweeping the. He's sweeping up and then he, like, uses. The, the broom is actually a radio. But the great part of that scene is that. <laughs> Q's always going on about, hey, you know, take care of the equipment. And he just throws the broom radio into the thing. That's funny. Um, but, like, you, and it gets like, like, just, he just has good chemistry with Q. Like, I think him and Pam work really well together. And even, like, him and Sanchez, like, when, when Bond's playing undercover trying to get into Sanchez's good graces, that's a really good connection they have, too. And I think, like, Dalton really plays that well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I approve. I, I like this yeah. one. Yeah, this is good. All right, we're going to Aftermath yes. stuff. All righty, so Aftermath. we got a little bit of here to go through because it's a final Bond movie. Um, Aftermath, uh, the film was released on July 14th, 1989, and um, it was slightly successful worldwide. Mm-hmm. It made $156 million. Uh, but the big story of this one is that it only made $34 million in the United States, which was uh, the lowest... Uh, six, uh, least successful film since Man with a Golden Gun. Um, and when adjusted for inflation, it is the least successful Bond movie in America. 
Um, so there was a couple things that people think about that. Um, one is the marketing. Uh, people think that the, the last-minute shift in the marketing didn't really get out there in front of it as much, especially because the other thing that people say is that the summer of 89 was a big box office year because mm. uh, you also had that summer Batman. Yeah, I was going to say Batman. Uh, Batman, Last Crusade, yeah. Lethal Weapon 2, Ghostbusters 2, and <clears throat> Star Trek 5. Well, Batman was the big one. Batman was the big the one, but game. also, like, I mean, Last Crusade wasn't, you know, something to laugh at either. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and some people also say that the violence and kind of the grittier nature just wasn't what audiences were looking for. Because it opens up dark. It I does mean, open up dark. Well, and especially like blindside you because it opens up with like a fun kind of set piece in a wedding and then it has yeah. some dark implications afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Um, and reviews were, were pretty mixed at the time as well. Uh, it was like kind of a love it or hate it movie for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So people really appreciate Like Roger Ebert loved it. Uh, a lot of people love the kind of the action and the kind of the darker nature of it, and kind of people did feel it gave the Bond character a little bit more to work with and do as a character, um, as going off of this revenge mission. Other people were kind of taken aback by the darkness mm-hmm. and and kind of missed a kind of more the early more late Connery humor. Um, so this almost leads to again the end of the Bond franchise, mm-hmm. um, but not in the way that you think because. Essentially, despite the issues that they had with the film, um, they were all ready to go for Dalton's third movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were developing it, ready to go. They had a script ready. That was going to be a script that was going to take in Scotland, Hong Kong, and Tokyo, and it was going to deal with nanomachines. <laughs> um, yes. And they were also looking at that time to kind of start anew. So this was going to be Glenn. This was John Glenn's last movie, and I felt like he did a, a fine job directing this. Oh one. Yeah, 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 I did too. But they were going to, you know, find a new director. They were talking about maybe even getting, like, John Landis to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also going to get some new screenwriters on board, kind of let Maybaum take a break. Uh, but according to Dalton, um, they were all ready to go with the script in 1990. But MGM nearly goes bankrupt and eventually gets sold uh, to a French-Italian uh, film company called uh, Quintex, or media company. So Quintex is one of those... Their plan with MGM is basically they're going to buy up the assets and then they're going to sell off everything to kind of make a bigger profit. Mm. And they're, uh, they attempt to sell off the Bond international rights and the television rights uh, for a very, very, very cheap sum. And uh, uh, Cubby and Eon is uh, not having any of this. Mm-hmm. So... Because they're like, well, no, we only have the distribution deal with United Artists and MGM. We control all the field. We we have the rights. We're we're in with the Fleming Company, so we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna sue. So basically, all pre-production is stopped, mm-hmm. and and the, the Bond franchise is put on hold for a while as they try to settle these rights. And eventually, Cubby and Eon and uh, their companies do win the fight, uh, but it is not till 1993 in which they they come up with the the uh, the, the, the full rights to the Bond franchise. And by the point that they are developing um, what would eventually become GoldenEye in 1993, um, Cubby's health deteriorated a lot mm. over the course of the uh, of the litigation. He had some health problems in Mexico when they were filming. Um, he had to leave because of the thin air. And though he recovered from that, really that was like the start of a lot of health issues for him. Mm. Um, 
Maurice Binder, who does all the opening sequences, passed away. Mitchell Rayrom eventually passed away as well. Um, and a lot of the Eon, because they weren't working at Eon, started to kind of start doing other projects as well around Hollywood. So um, a lot of changes were coming through the Bond team. Mm-hmm. And eventually this led to Dalton leaving. Um, Dalton has said that was one of the hardest things he ever had to do. But he had been away from the franchise for six years now basically from 89 till the movie would have released in 95. Mm-hmm. So he was away for like six years and he thought, um, if I do this, it's another two years of my life and I feel like I've moved on. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about Dalton from what I gather is that Dalton is someone who enjoys acting mm-hmm. um, but doesn't enjoy the celebrity of acting. Oh, okay. Because if, yeah, if, if you look at Dalton's career, he's very much focused on like stage stuff and he'll do the occasional film thing. But like I was I was always curious because, I, again, I love Dalton in these movies. I was always curious about why Dalton didn't have like a bigger career after this because I always felt like at least he – maybe not an Oscar nominated, but he felt like he could have been in those types of movies. Like, well, I mean I – like I'm, I'm just even trying to think of recent things he – has been in and all all i can come up with is hot fuzz in toy story 3 yeah it's, not, it's <laughs> like, like hot fuzz toy story 3 and he did penny dreadful for yes no penny Dre- that's but, the but one. like yeah. he's, he's not he's not like a like what connery did afterwards connery was a consistently working actor right or even brosnan is like back in the game now and he's doing a lot of stuff um dalton really just he doesn't like the celebrity of it and i think that there's some part of him that did not enjoy the pressure and the celebrity of being Bond. Mm-hmm. He enjoyed playing Bond. Like he said as much that he he would have had he um you know had it gone right through in 1990 he would have done another movie at least. Well, I mean you know that's kind of like the big struggle, especially nowadays with like big franchise movies. I mean, you know, you have a lot of people who I think you know do have that hesitance because it's like you know you're gonna have to go to hall h and like you know go on all these press tours like you're basically now like yeah. superstardom like when you know some people just want to act you know it's kind of the thing i think that adam driver struggles with yeah in like you know i think he's like the one who's like eh, this, part, this part's probably not my favorite part mm-hmm. but i like playing the part like, yeah so yeah and it happens and so i think that like he just was fine going back to like being the smaller person he was just at the time that he quit, he was doing like a TV miniseries about, you know, based on Gone with the Wind and stuff like that. And he had gone back to doing Shakespeare and stage acting. So he, at that point, he decided to leave. Um, so it was outside circumstances that really didn't let Dalton to kind of even develop that Bond character further for him and mm-hmm. develop that role. Because you, you know, too, like, for, for especially for Connery, I think for Connery and for Moore, I, I think that, like, they're interpretations only developed as their movies went on. Sure. I, like, I think sure. like they, they all come out strong, but I think like, like more strongest work I think is his middle period. Like I think like, like yeah, yeah, I would say and, so. And I think like Connery, you know, like is great in the first two, but I, for some people really finds his groove in I, Goldfinger. But I, you know what? I honestly feel like, I f- feel like these movies have been some of the stronger movies in terms of, even though it's not like deep character stuff uh, that they, Again, I go back to like these are the movies where they're grounding Bond in mm-hmm. the way that they're fleshing him out as like a real dude, yeah, um, as just like a secret agent. Like I kind of said, like, and I know it's partially a joke, but Mission Impossibleing kind of like the like you know you kind of get that sense from it a yeah. little bit more, yeah, no. as opposed to like oh he's James Bond like the icon, yeah, and 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 it's just interesting because I I I do wonder that alternate reality um, where. One, if Dalton, if there's no MGM issues and Dalton does like another movie in like 1990, 1991, mm-hmm. like, or 
if Dalton does come back for Goldeneye, like if he did do Goldeneye, because again, that script, and we'll talk about it more next time, but that script was written for him in mind as well. I could see that. Um, like seeing him in this role of Bond, mm-hmm. I could definitely yeah. see, especially what would, you know, that movie's all about like betrayal and, yeah, yeah. you know, the, uh, yeah, I could see so, that. So um, it's just, there's an alternate reality where I feel like maybe Dalton gets a little bit more like public perception of that, especially if he does Goldeneye or, or like what, what, what that 19, you know, what that Hong Kong nanomachine sun yeah. movie would have been. Or, or the uh, Jinx spinoff movie he could have been in. Yeah. yeah. Probably at that point, I think he would have been done <laughs> by the time, by the time Jinx comes in. Um, I, uh, just to wrap up on Dalton real quick. Yeah. I, I just think it's just these, watching these two movies just confirms that I think he's just my favorite actor as a Bond. And yeah. I think like he's to me like the ideal, like, I would show someone like Living Daylight just be like, this is what I think the Bond character is. And like, if I wrote a Bond movie, I'd want to write it in kind of the Dalton style. Um, like kind of grittier, kind of serious, but like I think Living Daylight still gives him a lot of humor, but the way he plays it, I think it's perfect. I think he does really well in License to Kill, really sells the dramatic nature of the movie. Yeah. And I, I just think he's just so interesting and watchable as a Bond. Uh, I would say that him as Bond, and this is going to sound bad, but bear with me. I think that out of all the Bonds, well, maybe a little bit more than Lazenby, but he has, out of the two big Bonds that we've had, I, I would say, yeah, I think he has the least, like, iconic presence as a Bond. Like, I'm not, I, I remember more in Connery as Bonds a little bit more if I think of James Bond. That being said, I do feel like that works in his favor of engaging with him while you're watching the movies as this real dude who's playing James Bond. I think he's, it's, I think he's strong in the role, and I think that he makes both of these movies very watchable um, in a very solid way. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to overpraise it because you know the first one I think starts off really good. I don't, I don't love the end of it. I, I like this one, and even when I like this one, I think it's just, it's just a solid Bond movie. Yeah, is, is how fair, I feel about enough. it. But Nick, I think the real question is, and we all love Dalton, but I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm tired of talking about Dalton. I want to talk about. Harrison Ford yeah. and who he plays in this movie. Hmm, who could Harrison Ford be in this movie? <laughs> he could be the pastor at the wedding. I could think I could see him. him. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I could see him as the pastor at their wedding and he's, and he's really upset because like could play her father. He could play her father. Cuz yeah. her father is like feels like it's a mistake to to yeah. to to marry Felix anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I yeah. could see I could see uh Harrison Ford as the at uh, the pastor and he's like really ornery because like they <laughs> they're like, well, they're on a mission. I, I, I can't start the wedding yet. Yeah. He's like, I've got things to do. <laughs> this wedding, I'm pointing at Nick, this wedding will go on time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all right, I'll go with that one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, Um. that's all I have to say. Is that all you have to say? Uh, that's all I have to say, uh, except about where we're going uh, next uh, time. All right. Um, well, oh, well, next time, Uh. you know, the... Well, Summer of Dalton has ended. Has ended, um, and I guess with that, the summer of Mecha Godzilla has technically ended too. Yes. Um, but Nick, um, well, as should we... I say where we're going next time on Bond? Or oh, where are we going next? <laughs> well, I mean, you gotta stop me, Suter. Where are we going next time on Bond? Well, I was, I was like waiting for you to like introduce me. Like it's the summer of Dalton. Oh, oh. I thought you were gonna say like the summer of Dalton <laughs> has ended, but the fall of Brosnan has begun. Um, well, see, you did it. There you go. Well, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're going into kind of the more modern, continuing the modernization of the Bond franchise. Tim, or Pierce Brosnan enters finally in one, probably one of the more famous Bond movies. Yes. Uh, for a lot of people, yeah. Goldeneye, which I have seen. Uh, but it will be fun to rewatch. Yes. Uh, but Nick, next time isn't. Now I can go. 
Yes. Not it's not a it's not a Von movie. It's a Godzilla movie. Um, and not only will we be introducing and going back into the Toho world of Godzilla, but we'll be going and introducing a new era of Godzilla. Yes, the first a new era. The first transition into a new uh, continuity of the Godzilla universe in the Hasty series, in which we will be exploring the film The Return of Godzilla. Ooh, I'm yeah. very excited about yeah. that. Yeah. Or Godzilla Returns. You know, it's going to be, you know, the penguin, the cat, yeah. the bat, and the Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, until then, uh, well, I'm done. We're yeah, done. We're done. I'm done. Done. Go back to those plugs that we always do on these episodes. Yes. So we have an email address, bonzillapod at gmail.com. We have a Facebook address, uh, facebook.com slash bonzilla007. We have a Twitter address, twitter.com slash bonzilla007. Also on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash bonzilla007. <laughs> like and subscribe. You can do it on iTunes or on SoundCloud, or you don't have to. <laughs> you don't. You could just listen to it yeah. and then just listen to the next one when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, I, that's all I have to say. So until next time, uh, I guess I'm Will. I'm Nick, and I, you know, I downloaded the soundtrack, the license to kill, solely for that dirty guitar riff. <laughs> this, this, this. <laughs> 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 Honeymoon. <laughs>